0: Hail and well met. I'm guessing you're wanting shelter from the storm, right? Well, it is a cold night out there. Why don't you pull up a chair by the fire? I have just the thing to pass the time. A story. I call it Our back's Destiny. Welcome to the Lavender Tavern, my friend.
1: There is a road that passes between Bannersley and Marlemere. These two towns could not be more different. Bannersley is a farming community in the hills, and Marlemere is a bustling fishing town by the sea with ships that come to sell their exotic goods and purchase the renowned fish of Marlemere. It is not a long road. It is a well-kept road, and on this cool spring day, 21-year-old Auerbach is making his way along this road, from Bannersley to Marlemere. He carries a pack on his back that contains all of his possessions for he is leaving Bannersley forever. Auerbach is a tall man, but his parents in Bannersley are short. He is a lanky man, but his parents run to fat. His eyes are blue, and those of his parents are brown. As he grew older, he thought that he might be a changeling, or perhaps, in his darker musings, that his mother might have been with another man. But when he asked his parents to explain, they told him to wait for his 21st birthday. And when that day came... After they ate the cakes and the oranges from the south, Auerbach asked again, and his parents told him. He had been born of other parents, and they lived in Malamare. They had entrusted him to his current parents for safekeeping until he reached his 21st year. Now he was to return to Malamare. They say you have a destiny to fulfil, his mother said. Was she his mother? That you will be the saviour of the land, and then forgive us. So, Auerbach forgave them, and he packed his pack, and the next morning he started on the path to Malabar, only a day's hike from Bannersley. He was not walking fast or slow, he took the road as it came. If there was a destiny, it would wait. His new parents, his real parents, were named Trissa and Kerrick. They welcomed him into a much larger house that had its own shrine. There, he met Master Dyrelle. High priest of Malamare. Young man, the priest said after they had burned incense and bowed to the idols of the gods, I have been waiting for this moment for twenty one years. He nodded at him. You have a destiny, my boy. You will be the savior of the land. All right, Aabach said. The prophecies have foretold this event for hundreds of years, the priest went on. You are a great fighter. I am not a fighter, Auerbach said. I prefer the arts of love. The priest harumphed. You practice the art of love with your fellow men? Auerbach shook his head. No. I only favour the company of women. The priest disregarded these comments. Once you have assumed your role, a great menace will arise from the East and strike catastrophe in our land, he intoned in a more solemn voice. "'As foreseen, you shall be the one to vanquish this menace.' "'I suppose,' our said, and shrugged. "'He was getting quite hungry.' "'Dinner was a strained occasion. "'These are my parents,' he thought, "'watching them recite strange prayers before the meal. "'They are tall, they are lanky, they have blue and green eyes. "'Why did they abandon me twenty-one years ago?' "'It was your destiny to be raised by another.' his mother explained while they were eating the beef and potatoes. We were desperate to keep you, but Master Dyrell said you were the anointed one. You came at the time of the star showers, you were covered in a call, and you had the triangular birthmark on your shin that was foretold. I do have a birthmark on my shin, Auerbach admitted. We gave you the name Araso. The midwife who delivered you brought you to your parents, she smiled. But we shall continue to call you Auerbach. After dinner, a burly young man came to call on Auerbach. His name was Ruston, and he was to be Auerbach's partner in love and in battle. Ruston played his lute for Auerbach in the garden, and Auerbach listened. It was a good performance, but men do not interest me, he told Ruston. I'm sorry. Ruston pressed his lips to Auerbach's. They were dry and warm. Did you feel nothing then? he asked. I felt the hairs of your beard tickle by face, Auerbach replied. But you played the lute music well. Ruston sat back and strummed a few chords. I have spent years practising and fighting and training for the battle ahead. It is my destiny, as much as it is yours. I would hear your lute again, Auerbach said. But there is no need to press your lips to mine once more. As Ruston began to pluck out a sad melody, Auerbach thought there must have been some terrible mistake in all this. The next morning, Trissa and Kerrick took Auerbach to see Marlemere. The streets were full of citizens and visitors. The market was full of sellers and buyers. Money flowed like water throughout the town. Auerbach saw no sign of any catastrophe, no sign of menace. But it had been foreseen. After midday meal, Auerbach asked to see the town's graveyard. This is an odd request, Kerrick said. Does our company not please you? I'm tired, and I wish some silence after the noise of the town, Auerbach replied. Trissa and Carrick had only been his parents for a day, and so they could not divine his lie. His other parents would have known in an instant. The graveyard, shrouded by fog, stood on a hill overlooking Marlamere. Auerbach moved from one stone to the next, rubbing the dirt and moss from each inscription and studying them. Then he stopped at one gravestone and sat before it for a while, thinking... That night he gathered Trissa and Kerrick, and Master Dyrell, and Ruston at the house and told them. There has been a mistake, he told them. I'm not the chosen one. The priest shook his head. But it has been foretold. You had a destiny. As the Saviour of the land, Auerbach concluded, that was a raso, and I am Auerbach. They did not understand why he would refuse his destiny. "'Your child, Araso,' he told Trissa and Kerrick in a gentle tone, "'passed away as a baby.' "'The midwife must have felt some guilt, "'for she buried him in an unmarked grave and procured another infant, "'likely a foundling.' "'He pointed to his chest. "'That was me. "'That was our back.' "'They did not want to believe it, "'but he showed them the proof. "'He did not know how to fight. "'He preferred women and not men, "'and the birthmark on his shin might well be a square instead of a triangle.' I do not feel the calling you would wish of Arasso, he said with finality. I do not have a destiny here. Kerrick cried more than Trissa. The priest's face was dark, then stormy, and then he left before any rain could fall from it. Abak filled his pack and bid goodbye to his parents, or rather, not his parents. Ruston came with him to the edge of Marlamere. Are you going back to Bannersley? he asked. Auerbach looked at the expanse of Greenland before them. "'No,' nah, he said at last. "'I have no destiny in Bannersley, either.' He paused. "'We have shared a kiss, and so I would entrust you with a secret.' Ruston smiled. "'Such is the custom here in Marlomere as well.' Auerbach grew serious. There was no other infant. He watched the thoughts play across Ruston's expression. Then, Auerbach smiled, I was to be the chosen one, foretold by centuries of prophecy, destined to be the saviour of the land. Then you must not leave, Ruston protested. You must stay and fight with me. Auerbach shook his head. There is no need, he said. I studied Master Dyrell's words with care. No catastrophe shall befall the land, so long as I do not accept my role as a chosen one. It shall never come to pass. Ruston laughed. You are as sly as you are lazy, one who is not chosen, he sighed. Then I shall say farewell, and should you pass through Marlamere again, I will play the lute for you once more. They may discover that there is no gravestone bearing Arasso's name, Abak said. It is unlikely that I should return to Marlamere. But I will keep the memory of your performance in my mind, if not your bearded lips. You have a talent for the lute. They clasped hands, and Ruston watched the Chosen One, the not-yet-Chosen One, pass over the hill and away from Malamir. Then he thought of his lute, his music. Ruston looked down at his calloused hands, scarred from training and fighting. Perhaps, he thought, perhaps he had another destiny.
0: I am
2: so sick of the walled-off market! This Waldmart is ruining the town plaza for all the little vendors that used to stop by! Don't you remember those enchanted flutes you used to be able to get? Yes!
3: Those were so cool! I got one that turned my frog into a horse!
2: Yeah, those! Now it's only me out here selling enchanted scarves! And with all the mages the Walmart can afford for their Scrying Engine Optimization, I might as well be wearing a scarf of invisibility myself!
3: You know that the Little Vendors Market still exists, right? What? Where? Customers are learning that they can beat the Scrying Engine Optimization by using the Little Business Library. It's a directory of just Little Businesses, and it transports you directly to their carts. They don't take a cut of the profits or anything. You're
2: kidding! And they're not exploiting these independent vendors? I won't have to put up painted banners advertising enlargement enchantments or anything?
3: Not at all. It only costs $4 per month to be listed in the directory. And you can pay annually if you prefer. Plus, if you scroll out the code LISTEN10 while you're purchasing your place in the library, you can get 10%
2: off! I'm on my way now! Hey Bert, light some torches! We're gonna make the world more obsolete!
3: <laughs> Wait, you can use my magic tablet to- oh they're, they're gone. Visit Little Business Library at littlebusinesslibrary.com. Follow them on Twitter at at littlebusinesses or find them on Facebook and Instagram. When you join the library, don't forget to use Listen10 at checkout to receive a discount on the membership fee.
0: Memorial.
1: That morning, Watt awoke. He washed his face in the basin, then pulled off his nightshirt and slipped on his tunic. In their little cottage in the middle of the woods, he had no need for modesty, and so he left the hose neatly folded by Taman's on the floor. It was a fall day, still warm where the sun came through the cottage's mullioned windows, but chilly in the shadows. Watt pulled on his clogs and walked out of the cottage and into the garden. Many of the flowers had already wilted or fallen, but there were some that only bloomed in this season. Bright yellow sunflowers, pale pink hyssop, and his favourite, the coneflower. The coneflowers stood nearly as tall as Watt, narrow yellow petals with light orange brushstrokes coming from their purple centres. Taman had told Watt that scholars had another name for the coneflower, but Watt could not remember it. He took three of them, regretting having to pick them, but knowing that they would soon fall if he did not. Then he took the three long steps from the flowerbed to the gravesite. The mound of dirt was fresh. No grass would grow upon it before next spring. With care, Watt knelt down and laid the three cone flowers on top of the grave. He closed his eyes. Then he felt a hand upon his shoulder. "Do not do this," Taman said, Taman with his deep gravel voice. Watt opened his eyes and looked at Taman sadly. He got to his feet, took the three steps back towards the cottage, and started his daily routine. He made his simple meal of bread and fruit, he swept the rooms that did not need sweeping, he picked the vegetables that were ready to harvest from the flower beds on the other side of the cottage, he brought water back from the well in a jug and a basin. Taman was at his side with every step. The next morning, Watt awoke. He washed his face, then exchanged his nightshirt for his tunic. There was no need for the leggings today, with nobody to see him for miles around. Another full day, warmer than most, but with the hint of winter to come. What went out into the garden. He picked three of the coneflowers with a smile. He had told Taman that they reminded him of the sun, and when Taman had asked him why choose the coneflower and not the sunflower to remind him of the sun, What had said that one does not choose what one loves. I did not have to choose you. I knew from the first moment... Watt took the three long steps from the flower bed to the gravesite, then knelt down and laid them on the grave. No more, Taman said beside him. Please, have I changed that much? Am I no longer the person you know? Taman shook his head. Have we grown apart these last eight years? Are you simply ignoring me? Watt got to his feet and took the three steps back to the cottage. It was time for his meal, and then it was time for sweeping and cleaning. Next came harvesting the vegetables and fetching water from the spring. A quiet life, but there was always something to do. The next morning, Watt awoke. After scrubbing his face with water, he dressed in his tunic, passed through the cottage, and went to the flower beds. Three coneflowers. Had they been in bloom when he and Taman had met? Watt could not remember he could only remember Taman. Watt took the three long steps to the grave, knelt down and placed the coneflowers on the mound. "'I have died,' Taman said behind him. "'Is that it? "'I am a phantom or a spirit "'and you can neither see nor hear me. "'Am I right?' Watt looked at Taman and shook his head. "'It seemed that the work of maintaining a cottage in the woods "'had no end.' cooking and cleaning, harvesting and fetching water. There was a town not far away, but the cottage was self-sufficient for the most part. The next morning, Watt awoke. Water on face, tunic on body, walk through cottage. Three cone flowers from flowerbed. Three long steps to the gravesite. And what kneeled by the dirt and placed the three cone flowers on the grave. Do I even exist? Taman asked, sitting next to him. "'Placing flowers on a dead man's grave is not the way to move on,' he said gently. "'I know this. "'You must not keep doing this.' "'Watt shook his head yet again. "'Meal, sweeping, cleaning, harvesting, fetching water, sleep.' "'The next morning, Watt awoke. "'He did not wash his face.' He did not remove his nightshirt or put on his tunic. Taman stood between Watt and the cone flowers in the flower bed. I cannot permit this to continue, Taman said, arms crossed. You would pull out all the flowers you loved so much. He turned to the flower bed to show Watt how few were left. Then a look of confusion crossed Taman's face. Watt saw it as well. None of the coneflowers flowers had been picked. All were standing. If no flowers have been pulled, Taman said, then. He took the three long steps to the gravesite and knelt down. The marker was wooden and crude, but the name had been painstakingly engraved. What? Taman looked up at Watt, who did not speak. Forgive me, Taman said, I cannot let you go. His hand caressed the top of the grave, which was bare of flowers. In my mind you rise every morning. You wash your face, you put on your tunic. You make your meal, and you come to the garden to tend your flowers. Taman rose to his feet. When it happened, it was not real, he said to Watt. I could not believe it was real. Better to think that I was dead, that I was some projection of your mind, even that you hated me so much that you would not speak to me He walked the three steps back to the flower bed and reached out to pick one of the cone flowers. But Taman could not bring himself to do it. The moment he picked that flower, the enchantment would end, and what would be gone? Better to spend his days as the ghost in what's life, the echo in what's mind. Taman sat in front of the patch of coneflowers and waited. Waited for the sun to set and rise again, and for what to wake once more.
0: Ah, look at that. The storm is settling and you are free to go. Of course, you're always welcome to sit by the fire and stay a while. There are many more nights and many more stories.
3: Tonight's story was told by Ben Meredith. You can also find him in the Magnus Archives, Rusty Quill Gaiman, The Brothers Meredith, and Stellar Firma. Find our credits, merch, and more stories at LavenderTavern.com. Interested in having your short story told at The Lavender Tavern? Submit a copy of your writing to us at www.FaustianNonsense.com slash Lavender Tavern Submissions. The Lavender Tavern is written by Jonathan Cohen, whom you can follow on Twitter at at LavTavPodcast for updates and more content.